0: We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this evening, Matthew 5, as we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount and these teachings of Jesus that are specific to uh, his disciples. This is really a lesson in discipleship and we'll find throughout Matthew 5, 6, and 7 there are some references uh, to salvation and the need to really make sure that we're settled on that. We know that we have his uh, His saving grace in our lives, but, but primarily the teaching in these three chapters is directed not at the lost people of the world, but at us, his people, as his disciples, as followers of Christ. And one of the things that we've mentioned throughout our study in this is just the fact that These teachings, almost all of them, yes, please, if you'd bring that this way, thank you. Somehow I missed the lapel mic tonight, and I don't want to be tied to this one in case I decide to move, all right? Um, But one of the things that we've mentioned several times, thank you, is the fact that these teachings go contrary in so many ways to human wisdom and reasoning. I mean, essentially everything that Jesus teaches is the... Exact opposite of what we would default to in our own flesh and in our own wisdom. And it really even defies a lot of times uh, what we would expect to be normal or good or right. And yet in these teachings we find the character and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that fascinating when you really think about it? Because a disciple is one who follows after someone else. And we are called to follow after Christ. As his disciples, we are really essentially supposed to be little Jesuses walking around on this earth. We are to uh, uh, kind of portray him to this earth. and, And we're to be conformed to his image. And so in order to do that, our thinking has to be turned upside down by the scriptures, by the word of God. That transformation that comes through the renewing of our minds. And that really is what Jesus is doing here. He's challenging the social norms. He's challenging even the uh, accepted religious teachings of the day. And you have to understand that his disciples hearing this would have had to hear it with, a, with this idea that this is radical, really. What Jesus is teaching is absolutely radical. And our, our passage tonight is is no different. In fact, I would say that this is one of the areas that we probably struggle the most in, in regard to the teachings that Jesus uh, gives in these chapters. This is a really difficult area for me, and I think probably for most Christians in general. So we're in Matthew 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 38. And if you would, let's stand together as we read the scriptures. We will read verse 38 down through 48, the end of the chapter. And Jesus says here, Ye have heard that it hath been said... An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee turn thou not or turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust for if ye love them which love you what reward have ye do not even the publicans the same and if ye salute your brethren only what do ye more than others do not even the publicans so be therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect i want to go back to verse 38, and just kind of read this again with you, because he he makes reference to an Old Testament passage of scripture we're going to look at in a moment, but he says, ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. And I want to preach to you tonight on the subject of having a different attitude toward injustice. Injustice having a different attitude toward injustice. Let's pray. Father, tonight, would you help us to really grasp the the depth of what you have prepared for us in your word. Help us, Lord, not just to, to see on the surface the general teaching of Jesus and then kind of make excuses and go around it, but may we really see the heart and the spirit behind the words of Jesus in this passage of Scripture. And would you help us in our own lives to let you change our thinking and our attitudes to conform to your will and to your word. And Father, we know that that can only be done by your Spirit. And would you help us tonight to be submissive and surrender to you and let us, Lord, deal with even difficult situations in the way that would be pleasing in your sight. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As Americans, and really people in general, but especially Americans, we really believe deep in our souls in the importance of justice, don't we? I mean, it's even in our Pledge of Allegiance, right? We, we talk about the, the flag that stands for this republic, and the promise of this republic is liberty and justice for all. And, and we really love the concept of justice. And with as part of that, the other side of that is we hate injustice. We hate to see something that's just not right and not fair and taking place. Uh, we hate to see the oppression of the, the little guy it's, it's one of the reasons, and again, again, Pastor Smith, I'll, I'll uh, wax political like you did this morning. It's one of the reasons that we don't believe in things like socialism, because we believe that at its core, it's an unjust system, and it takes from those who have labored to, to gain and, and, and have prospered as a result of their efforts, and it takes from them and it gives to those who many times have not given that amount of labor and diligence. And there is a degree of injustice that goes into that. We hate to see people wrongfully accused. In fact, most good stories, if you like to read books or maybe watch movies and things like that, you'll you'll see most good stories include some form of, there's the the main character, and this, this guy is the hero of the story. But sometime, this guy could do nothing wrong, he's, he's good at his core, at his heart, he's good. But then somewhere along the way, he's falsely accused or, or made to look bad. And boy, everything looks like it's against him. And then in the end, everything is set straight, right? And we just kind of cheer, we love that, we eat it up. Why? Because we like to see justice done. And Jesus here in this passage of scripture, essentially what he is telling his disciples to do is to look beyond their need for justice. And to be willing to even allow, and I'm going to use the the phrase for a time, injustice to be done against themselves. That's hard for us to grasp, it's hard for us to imagine, but really what Jesus is doing here is he's commanding his disciples to have a different attitude, a different take when things, when when someone does them wrong, when someone does us wrong, to not necessarily go about it in a way that, that our flesh would want to. And so he makes this reference in verse 38. He says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, what he is actually referencing is part of the Old Testament law. We find it stated in Exodus, in Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy, this statement of, of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we'll just look at one example of that in Leviticus chapter number 24. And this is actually part of. God's law for his people, and, and not necessarily to be carried out on an individual basis, but really the judicial system that he set up. That if, if one person harmed another person, here was the way that that was to be recompensed. And I want you to notice in Leviticus chapter 24, and he's been going on about all these different ways in which uh, the, the, the nation of Israel is to carry out justice. And he says in uh, Leviticus 24, in verse number 17, And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And he that killeth a beast shall make it good. Beast for beast. And then listen to verse 19. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. So here's what, what the Lord is saying. As you set up your system of justice, here is one of the aspects of that. If there is a, a dispute between people, they get into a fight, and one person is injured, the other person needs to receive likewise. So if you you get angry with someone and just haul off and punch him in the in the eye and give him a black eye, guess what buddy? You're going to be brought before the judges and you're going to get a black eye. And if you happen to connect a, with a good uppercut to his jaw and it knocks out a tooth or two, you better understand every tooth that he loses, you're going to lose it too. And this was the way that it was, it was done. It was the, the way that Justice was to be carried out, and this was actually a very good system. I mean, this was God's perfect law, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, and and, and, and this this is what God said. This is how it is to be carried out. And so there was nothing here that Jesus is not saying that the Old Testament system of justice is wrong. He can't be saying that because he's the very one that instituted it. Here's what he is saying, though you have a right to require of another an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, you need to be willing to let go of that right. In other words, if we are going to have a different attitude toward injustice, if we are going to approach things in the way that God would have us to approach them, we must be willing to yield what is rightfully ours. The right to be treated fairly. In some cases, maybe the right to be understood. Did you know that really the life of a disciple is a life where we give up our rights? That's a hard thing for us to accept. The disciples here had to understand that in God's eyes, as well as the eyes of the law, they had every legal right to pursue justice for wrongs that were done, yet Jesus encouraged them, listen, to show mercy. In Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8, the Bible says, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, God is a God of justice. But then he says, and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. In other words, justice is to be done, but mercy is to be embraced. Sometimes I think that we probably are guilty of uh, of being a little bit too adamant about justice and things being accomplished and, and, and us having all of our rights fulfilled. And, and boy, we have we, everything has to be fair and everything has to be just right. And yet in doing so, we forget mercy. Mercy is actually just the opposite of receiving that which is rightfully ours. Mercy is actually allowing ourselves to be wronged. God is a God of mercy. He has been merciful to us. And what that means is that we do not receive the penalty and the punishment that is rightfully ours because of our sin. And so Jesus is calling now his followers, his people to show mercy and even to allow themselves to To be harmed and to be wronged without retaliation. I want you to hold your place here in Matthew 6 and go with me if you would to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And I want you to notice here, Paul is addressing a problem in the church in Corinth. And that is there were divisions among the people... But because of these problems that were taking place in the church, they decided to bring the issues outside of the church and start bringing their causes to the lost people of the world that didn't know God and they were suing one another in a court of law. Can you imagine a situation that would be so bad that the members of Mount Zion Baptist Church would meet together on Sunday and worship together, and on Monday stand on opposite sides of a courtroom accusing one another before the the heathen of the world. Wow. This was a bad situation. But I'm sure that every one of them had a justification for why they would do this. Well, he owes me money. He promised that he would return this. Oh, this person over here, he did me wrong, and it's against the law, and it's just right and just that these things would be set Set straight, because after all, God is a God of justice, is he not? And therefore, we ought to have everything set straight. And Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 7. He says, now there, therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law with one another, or one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Well, Paul, you don't understand. This person did me wrong, and if I don't settle this in court, what other recourse do I have? Uh, Let it go. (laughs) What a novel thought that is, to let something go. I mean, that's hard to do. You know, it's maybe not that big of a deal if it's something small, but if it's something really important to us, if it's something that's going to cause lasting impact and lasting effect on ourselves or on our family, how do we just let something go? And yet that's what Jesus says, right? I, I, I say unto you, resist not evil. Now I know some people have, taught, have taken this and there are entire religions that have actually turned this into a, a statement where they say it's wrong to defend yourself and they teach pacifism and, and I just want you to know that that's not biblical either. This is not Jesus saying that it's wrong if someone is coming to do you harm or to harm your family in a physical way. He's not saying it's wrong to uh, defend yourself against them. But what he's talking about here is the issue of retaliation, the issue of vengeance, the issue of after someone has done me wrong, I demand that they make it right. That's That's what Jesus is dealing with here. And so back in Matthew 5, he says, you have heard that it's been said An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. And then notice this. This one is really hard. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. It's one thing to let something go. But there's a there's a concept. That we've kind of adapted and accepted and I'll I'll be honest and admit that I've been guilty of this and maybe even counseling people in this way before that it's one thing to forgive and it's, it's one thing to let something go but you need to be careful not to trust someone again because you want to shield yourself from getting hurt. And I understand what that's like. I've been hurt by people before, and I've, I've even said, you know, I'm willing to forgive, but I don't know that I'm willing to trust someone again. And I'm not saying that we ought to be willing to trust everyone, and, and, and we need to be wise and discerning about that, not just to uh, be foolish. However, the idea that we should never allow ourselves to be hurt again, I just want to ask you, is that a biblical concept? I know a lot of Christian people who've been hurt and been harmed, and legitimately so, that their hurt is real. And I don't want to minimize that. But this idea, I'm never going to allow myself to be vulnerable again, and put in a position where someone can hurt me again, I want you to know that that is not biblical. Jesus came to this earth knowing full well the response that he would get. And he opened himself up and made himself, quote-unquote, vulnerable. And, folks, I just, I just want to say to you that, that at some point, even if you've been hurt and you've been harmed, you have to be willing, not necessarily to trust another person, but to trust God to take care of you and open yourself up. Listen, a life-serving God is a life-serving others, and you cannot serve others if you are walled off and will not allow yourself to be hurt. The reality is that serving people hurts sometimes. There will be times in serving God and serving others that you will be betrayed. That you will be stabbed in the back. And here's what Jesus is saying. First of all, don't retaliate. But secondly, be willing to allow yourself to be hurt again. Man, that's a hard thing to do. In our conference back in April, some of you might remember Brother Tom Gibson preached a message about David returning the spear to Saul after Saul had been pursuing him for his life. Boy, I've spent some time really thinking about that. Imagine what that must have been like for David. To have found himself in a place where he certainly had the ability to do harm to Saul. But he refused to do that. And if he would have just left it at that and taken that spear. It would have been easy enough for him to just feel like he did the right thing. But he actually told Saul to send one of his young men to come and get that spear back. Sometimes we have to yield our rights so that we can even potentially be hurt again when we've been smitten on one cheek we need to be willing to turn the other in full expectation that that might hurt too but we need to have a different attitude toward injustice. There's a yielding of a right but there's also a willingness to give more than is expected. We'll read on in verse number 40. He says, and if a man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. The idea is if someone brings you to court and for whatever reason they win and they win your coat, your outer garment that keeps you warm, don't stop at just giving them your coat, give them your cloak too. In other words, be willing to go above and beyond the expectation. He says in verse 41, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. I've read a, a couple of different concepts to this idea. One is this idea that a Roman soldier may have had the right and the authority to come to any Jew that he wanted to and to say to him, uh, I need you to carry my armor for me. We're walking one mile. He, he had the authority to basically demand at any time at his wish that you would carry his armor for one mile. Imagine as a Jew, and again, if you, you've got to kind of put yourself in the position of the Jews who were under Roman rule, but they resented that. And they didn't really like the Romans, and they didn't like Roman soldiers telling them what to do. And so the fact that this Roman soldier could come up to them at any time and interrupt their day and interrupt their life and say, you have to walk with me one mile and carry my armor. I mean, it was adding insult to injury. Imagine how much it would inconvenience your day if someone, you're just going about your day and your business and all of a sudden someone in authority says, you have to carry this for me one mile. And that might be one mile out of your way, which means you got to come another mile back. And boy, that could mess up your day. And I can imagine, knowing myself and my flesh, I'd probably do it gritting my teeth the whole time and inwardly complaining about how unfair and how unfair uh, unjust, unjust, this whole situation is. Jesus says, if someone compels you to go a mile, go with them twain or two. Go above and beyond. Be willing to sacrifice, even if it's not fair, and even if it's not what you want. Be willing to do more than is expected of you. Then he says in verse number 42, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Be willing to lend and to give to others in need, or even who just have a desire. Proverbs 3, verses 27 through 28 say, withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. The Lord tells us that we need to be willing to sacrifice for others. If it's in our ability to help, we need to help. Now folks, I can be selfish. I can be selfish with my resources, my money, my time. Jesus says, go above and beyond in your giving. Someone asks you to go a mile, you go two. Someone needs to borrow or, or asks that you would give to him, you give it. Don't, don't turn away from them. Has it ever occurred to us that every time that we're presented with an opportunity to sacrifice our rights, that it actually is an opportunity to sacrifice on behalf of the Lord. In other words, by serving one another, we serve the Lord. And so Jesus is saying, have a different attitude toward injustice by, first of all, yielding your rights, by secondly, giving more than is expected of you. And then thirdly, by showing love to those who are unlovable. Because he says in verse 43, I've heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Can I ask you this question in all honesty? How is it possible... Not not simply to tolerate someone, but to actually truly love someone who is by definition our enemy. How is that possible? He defines what this enemy is, those who curse us, those who hate us, those that despitefully use us and persecute us. How is it possible not to just, it's one thing for me to say, okay, by God's grace, I'm going to learn to tolerate this person. Maybe you've got an experience with a coworker. I remember one of the first jobs that I worked as a teenager. There was a, a person there that worked there for whatever reason. Everyone else in this place loved me. I mean, after all, how could you not? I'm kidding. This person, though, I don't know if they felt threatened by me or whatever, but but they just made it their life's mission to make my life miserable. You ever had a situation like that? Man, that's hard to deal with people like that. Trying to, trying to get me in trouble for things that they did, just being rude and, and just not a very nice person to deal with. And I've had people that over the years have hurt me. I've had people that have lied about me. I've had people that have threatened me. And I'm just telling you, it's one thing for me to say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm not going to hate them. But it's a whole different story for me to truly learn to love them. And yet I'm called to do that. I'm called to love those that harm me, use me, lie about me and even persecute me. Notice that Jesus says here that we're to love our enemies, bless them that curse you. I remember one time pretty pretty vividly in my mind someone who cut me off in traffic and then figured out that it was there it was my fault. I don't know how, but they decided to curse me with a particular hand gesture. And I remember waving at them and smiling. And they didn't like it, but I enjoyed it. I didn't have a problem blessing them that cursed me in that regard. But do good to them that hate you. Are you you able to truly show love to do good to someone that intentionally does evil to you? This one's probably the hardest for me. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute. I've had people that have done me wrong and I've been able to pray for them certain things such as, you know, Lord, bring them to salvation, (laughs) you know, show them how wrong they are and bring them under conviction because their greatest need for salvation is because they've wronged me, (laughs) No, their need for salvation is because they've wronged God. But are we able to actually pray for God's blessings in someone else's life? really intercede on their behalf? Not to just pray, Lord, would you help this person to stop being such a thorn in my side, but actually, Lord, work in their life for their good. How do we do that? Well, I believe ultimately this comes from an awareness of two things. How how can we yield our rights How can we give more than is expected? And how can we show love to those who are unlovable? First of all, by understanding and by an awareness of God's mercy. How can I show mercy? Only because God shows mercy. Look at verse 45, if you would, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just. And on the unjust. See we're called to be disciples of Christ. We're called to bear his image to this world. And our heavenly father. Is good and kind and merciful and loving to all people. He's willing to. Do you realize that every person alive on earth today, no matter how good or how wicked, is living in the blessing and mercy of God? You know that? The air that we breathe is his air. The sun that warms the earth and gives us our vitamin D and illuminates all the things that we see that comes from God. And he makes it to shine on the just and the unjust. The earth, the rain that comes down and waters the earth so that we can have food to eat. And water to drink that comes from God. It's His blessing. And if our God is so merciful, how can we not be merciful? By the way, we've received His mercy. When I was an enemy of God, He loved me. God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. tells us that we're to be kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another it doesn't stop there it says even as even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you if you've been forgiven if you've received his mercy how can you withhold his mercy from someone else so to truly love the unlovable and give more than is expected and yield our right to justice comes from an awareness of God's mercy but it also comes from an awareness this might sound contradictory but it's not an awareness of God's justice you see when Jesus says resist not evil turn the other cheek yield your rights give more than is expected love the unlovable he is not calling you to lay down your To lay down the opportunity for fairness ever to take place. He's actually calling for you to allow for a delay. In justice being served. You see there is coming a day when justice will be served. And all things will be set straight. I want you to go with me if you would to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. There's coming a day when. All of the problems and injustices and unfair situations of this life are all going to be turned upside down and the Lord is going to recompense. And I want you to notice in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, a statement in verse number 8. He says here, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province... Marvel not at the matter. Stop there for a second. Don't think that any injustice you have faced is the first that's ever happened. Don't marvel at that. This is a normal thing ever since sin entered the world. Cain and Abel, that wasn't a very just situation, was it? Don't, don't be surprised when there's oppression of the poor and, and violent perverting of judgment... But notice after that colon, the second half of the verse, it says, For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. When those in power and authority pervert judgment and justice, just know that there is one that is higher than the highest. And he's paying attention, and he's keeping record, and he will judge we can trust that God's judgment is greater than ours. And then go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans 12, this is what the theme of the, the year was based off of for the church, overcoming evil with good. And I want you to notice in Romans 12, in verse number 17, the Bible says here, "...recompense to no man evil for evil." Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So we don't don't try to repay. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. And if we just stopped there, we'd say, boy, Lord, that's just not fair. Because vengeance needs to take place. But then he says... But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You see, God is a God of justice. And though we live in his mercy today, there is a day when all injustices will be made right. And they won't be set right by an earthly judge or by you or me who seeks our own vengeance. Because vengeance is God's. And I love that statement. God didn't say, I have vengeance. He said, vengeance is mine. It belongs to God, and listen to me, He is the best at it. If you don't think that God knows how to get justice, just read the book of Revelation. There is coming a day when God will repay, and His repayment will be far greater than anything you or I could ever do. So give place unto wrath, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And then he says, therefore, based on this knowledge, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. How, Lord? How? How can I yield my right to having things the way they ought to be? How do I give more than is expected of me? How do I love those who are truly unlovable? God would say, because you remember my mercy and you remember my justice. And with those things in mind, you can be a disciple of Christ in loving the unlovable, giving more than is expected, and yielding your right to justice.